Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. We are so happy you are joining us today. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Let's jump in. As Richie said, my name is Grayson. If we haven't met, I am so thankful you're here and believe that God wants to speak something to all of us today. I love each and every one of you, and yes, that means you. So today we're going to start our Christmas series about great joy and how Jesus gives great joy. Yes, great joy. You know, this season can get so busy, it can get so hectic, and we can get caught up in the trappings of Christmas and family gatherings. We really want to go back to the roots of who Jesus was and how he does offer us hope and joy right in the middle of uncertainty. So today we're talking about uncertainty. Jesus gives joy in very unlikely places. And I just think about the last two years. I know we've talked about it a lot, but the two years have been the definition of uncertainty. Everything going on around us, think about COVID. I think about civil unrest. I think about politics And all of that was just 2020. In 2021, so far the uncertainty has continued. We still don't know what's going on politically. We don't know if we'll ever be united as a nation again. We're not sure what's going on with our economy as inflation happens. We just don't know. Jobs are still at stake. People are on the line. COVID's still here. Uncertainty is a fact of life for us. And most of us have never experienced uncertainty like this in our lives before. So this is a very good message that Jesus can give us joy right in the middle of uncertainty. But the problem is, I have no idea most times how to do that. It's very, it's easy to say. It's another thing to actually live it and walk like it's true. So today we're going to explore what it looks like because God does promise us joy in those situations. So we're going to start out with a little bit of a history lesson. I want to set the stage. We're going to talk about Jesus's birth and different events as he's born over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to talk about what things looked like in the climate around Israel during Jesus's birth. So I'm going to have a little bit of help. There's going to be a timeline on the screen that comes up. But first, I want to show you a promise. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, the Savior that was to come to help the people of Israel named Jesus. And this is from Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, you can access it through your Bible, Bible app, or Uh, you can close your eyes and just listen because I have a job for you. As I'm reading through this, start to pull out phrases and words that come that give you hope right now, where you say, I wish, I wish this was true of me. I wish this was the case. So from Isaiah 9, at this point, Isaiah's just said, there's a nation who's gonna come in and they're going to defeat you and they're gonna take you into captivity and there's nothing you can do about it. But chapter nine, nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are areas in Israel. He humbled them. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased, here's our word, their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, that's one of Israel's enemies, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. 
the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a powerful message of hope. Yes, things are going to be rough, but the Messiah is going to come. Here's the problem. Most scholars think Isaiah 9 was written in 750 BC. If you do the math there, that's 750 years before the Messiah actually came, before Jesus, who this passage is talking about, arrived. So what was happening in the middle? And I can promise you, it wasn't, it wasn't a bed of roses. It was a very painful, difficult time in Israel's history. So I'll give you the lesson. Again, there will be a timeline up on screen. Uh, but at the time of Isaiah, there was a nation on the scene who had come called Assyria. And Assyria took half of Israel into captivity. They wiped them out. They went to destroy them. Years later, the second half of Israel was taken by a country called Babylonia. So big names. You probably heard those before. And what they did was they were out to destroy them. They tore down the wall of Jerusalem, the capital city. They killed the king's sons in front of him. They did awful things to the people, and they didn't allow them to stay in the land. They actually took them and deported them. So imagine living in America... And then someone else comes and beats us and takes us and scatters us all over the world. That's what happened to the people of Israel. Can't even imagine it. Their liberties were gone. They couldn't make decisions for themselves. They couldn't worship the way they were used to. They were completely subject to the Babylonians. And right there in the middle of all this turmoil going on, wouldn't it have been nice for that yoke as Isaiah talks about, that yoke that burdens them, the rod of their oppressors to break. That would have been the perfect opportune time. But the Messiah didn't come. The people were still suffering. Now put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel. You're waiting, expecting, and nothing. Well, eventually there's a bigger kid on the block who beats up Babylonia and takes over called Persia. And the Persian rulers send the Israelites back. They actually start sending them back to the land. They get to rebuild. They set up their walls. They build the temple again. This is a wonderful time in Israel's history. But they still don't have freedom. And Persia's sure to tell them, you don't get to do whatever you want to. You are still ours. We still own you, and we still get to determine what you do. We're going to tax you. We want you to do well so that we can get rich off of you. Well, Persia didn't last forever either. Like I said, there's always, always a bigger nation, always the next nation. And at this point, there's a guy, a young guy named, you may have heard of him, Alexander the Great. He conquered the known world by the age of 32. I'm 33, and I'm wondering what I've been doing with my life, right? Like, nowhere near this guy. By age of 32, conquered the known world, died of alcohol poisoning at 32. This guy was crazy. And his thing was he would go in and he would conquer a nation. So he came through Israel and he defeated them as he did. He, Alexander the Great never lost a single battle in his entire life. And Israel was no exception. He conquered them. And what he did was he said, we want you to stay. We want you to do well. 
I too am going to tax you and I'm going to take your money, but we want you to do well. I'm going to impose our way of life on you though. And he brought in something called Hellenism. It's really our way of life in America. Do things your way all the time. Worship all the gods. You don't have to just worship the God of Israel. And this was a threat to the Jewish culture because they knew there was only one God and we're not supposed to just live for ourselves. So here they're feeling all of this pressure, all of this pain and turmoil. This would be the perfect time for Messiah to come, but still no Jesus. Well, like I said, Alexander the Great, he did what every great man does and he died. And his kingdom was split into four parts. His four generals took it. And two of those parts of the Greek empire started fighting over Israel. There's one in the south around Egypt, and this is the Ptolemy dynasty. Don't worry, there's no quiz afterward. You don't have to catch all these names, but the Ptolemy dynasty in Egypt owned Israel to begin with. But the Seleucid dynasty in the north in Syria, they wanted Israel as well. So they started to fight And even though the Ptolemies owned them, the Seleucids kept trying to beat them and trying to defeat them. So for a hundred years, they're part of this Ptolemy dynasty and there's continual war. And when the two nations are warring for Israel, the war is happening in Israel. These people are getting hit over and over again by war and instability. Meanwhile, the Ptolemy dynasty specialized in slave trade, specifically sex trafficking. They would come and they would take your sons and your daughters when you're least expecting it and sell them into slavery. You are not free. This is a time of great pain and great difficulty. And yet Israel continued to endure. This would have been a great time for God to bring increase to the nation, for him to throw off the oppressors, just like Isaiah 9 said. And yet still no Messiah. Well, eventually the Seleucids in the north did win. They finally won and they took over Israel. So there's a new ruler, a new authority. And the Seleucids, they wanted to tax the people like crazy. They set up puppet rulers that exploited them and took all their wealth. And then a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. If you have, if you're going to have a child, I would recommend that one strongly, right? There's going to be a picture of him up here. Antiochus Epiphanes came through. And even though the Seleucid empire owned them, he came and waged war and defeated all of Israel's military to the point where he walked into the temple of the God of Israel and he sacrificed a pig to Zeus on the altar of God. The worst possible thing that could happen. He then took all the scrolls of scripture that he could find, burned them. He illegalized worship on the Sabbath, which was the day the Jewish people were asked to worship. He illegalized circumcision, which was a symbol of the Jewish people's connection with God. Everything about them, he said, you can no longer be you. It's no longer, you're no longer allowed to have your own national identity. The oppression was brutal. He robbed the temple treasury entirely and took everything he could. So right now, this is the lowest point. And I I love the words of Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. These people needed that light, but he didn't come. Still no Jesus. So finally, there's a guy who gets fed up with this. His name's Judah Maccabees, which just means Judah the hammer. It's like his wrestling identity or something, right? Judah Maccabees comes. He's like, we're not okay with this. And he actually miraculously led Israel to throw off the Seleucids. For the first time in centuries, Israel was free. 
But the problem is the land had been ravaged by war. They had been bled dry with taxation. They, didn't, they were wrestling with their own national identity. They were in such a bad state that there was no stability still. And they had a dynasty called the Hasmoneans, and they ruled in Israel. They were Jewish people. And they ruled there and they did their best, but there's still a lot of fighting in the government. There's a lot of corruption. Everything was chaotic. So they finally get what they want, but it's not what they need. And I think about, I think about this call that the government will be on the Messiah's shoulders. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. This is exactly when they need the stability of the Messiah. But the Messiah still didn't come. Well, the Hasmoneans are nervous because... Greece is kind of crumbling and falling as an empire, but there's a new kid on the block, and they're called Rome. And the Roman Empire is defeating everyone and taking everything over. So the writing's on the wall. They know Rome's coming. Finally, Rome does, and they do what everyone else does. They conquer Jerusalem. They conquer the nation, and they say, you're ours now, and we're going to tax you, and we're going to put a king in place. This king's name is Herod the Great. You've probably heard of him if you've read the Christmas story. He's the one who has the babies in Bethlehem killed. There's a, there should be a picture of him up here. Herod the Great. And at first they were hopeful because this guy, he, he was going to go and he was going to bring stability. But it turns out he was a psychopath. He was totally paranoid. He killed three of his own sons because he was afraid they were going to rise to power. He killed his favorite wife, tore limb from limb during a dinner meeting because he expected she was cheating on him. If he heard of any disloyalty in any of the towns in Israel, he would send the Roman soldiers to go and they would rape and disembowel the women and then they would crucify infants to the doors of the houses and force them to keep them there until they rotted away. This is how brutal the Romans were and how brutal King Herod was. Right now is the worst of the worst time. They need a king reigning on the throne who will not kill the people. They need this king of David, right? This, this throne that's established out of righteousness and justice. But the Messiah still wouldn't come. But then everything changed. Because in 4 BC, Jesus was born. And yes, Jesus was born before Christ. There was a slight clerical error when we were calculating things. So he was born in 4 BC and Jesus came in a stable in Nowheresville, Bethlehem. And he came on the scene. And the problem, the issue is the Roman Empire still had rule over Israel until about 100 AD. And they didn't walk away. They destroyed Israel and they deported all the people. Problem is the Messiah wasn't exactly what they wanted, but he finally did come. 750 years later, during that time, there was 400 years where God didn't say anything. No scripture was written. No one received a word from God. What was going on? How do you find joy when there's so much uncertainty and chaos? And I think that's very practical for what we're going through. And maybe, maybe you're hearing that, you're like, man, we, we don't know anything bad compared to those people. How do you find joy? The good news is you can, and I can. And there's a couple things that I'm gonna give you today that are gonna help you find joy right in the middle of wherever you're at. And the first one I'd love, love to say is trust God's timing. Timing is everything. If it's up to me, okay, when do I want to be free of my uncertainty? When do I th want things to stabilize? Well, yesterday would be great, right? As soon as possible, that's my timing. But God has different priorities than ours. His priority is so foreign to us because he sees things on a bigger scale. Uh, Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years 
and a thousand years are like a day. So if God says, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, it could be a thousand years, right? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. So God's priorities are different. My priority is, God, this is not fun. This, this hurts. This is painful. This is difficult. Can you save me now? Meanwhile, God's heart is bleeding for people who are lost. He has such a big passion for people that that's what fuels him. Notice, he's, he's patient. Why? Because he wants just one more person. There's, there's another person who needs to come in. My kingdom's not full yet. Just wait. It's coming, but one more. Just wait for one more. That's, we can take great joy. Why? Because God's heart is so full of compassion and mercy. That's why we're sitting here in this room, by the way, because God was so compassionate and merciful to all of us, right? God's timing is different. Um, he also has a different provision than we would think. Like, I, I want the provision to be everything I need right now. And God doesn't do that. Instead, he waits for the perfect timing. In fact, Galatians 4 says this. It says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sonship. Did you catch that? When the time had fully come. And for us, the time, it seems like now is the time for it to fully come. But think about Jesus. He comes and he's dropped right in 4 B.C., in Israel. Why then, God, why did you wait? Why did you let all these nations do all these things? Why did you let the people struggle? God says, I'll tell you why. Remember all those nations that came through Greece, came through and occupied the world, Alexander the Great? What he did was he made a universal language for everyone, Greek. Everyone spoke Greek in that time. In fact, the people in Israel, they didn't speak it commonly, but they wrote the New Testament in Greek. Why? Because everyone could understand it. It was something accessible to every person. The gospel could go out quickly and efficiently because of this language. What about the Romans? Why were they allowed to come? The Romans were really good at infrastructure. And I know a lot of you are super excited about infrastructure, right? And oh man, such a big deal. But here's what they did. They had the best navy, Paul, in fact, talks in his, as he's going through the world sharing the gospel, he takes boat trips all the time to different places. They also built roads that actually exist today. 2,000 years ago, they put cobblestone roads down and they allowed carts and wagons and horses and quick travel so that the gospel spread like wildfire. See, God knew, God knew what he was doing. He had a plan. He had a timing that was perfect. There was also a hunger for the Messiah. The people were so thirsty for him to come and ready that when Jesus came, they were ready to go with him. Many of them went, went right along because they had this hunger. Then the last thing that I see is God, over and over, the people were scattered. The people were scattered. They're in Babylonia. They're in Persia. They're in Greek. They're, as it turns out, the entire Roman Empire, every city had a Jewish synagogue in the city. It's called the diaspora, the scattered Jewish people. Meaning, when news of the gospel came to a town, they already had the scriptural text there and they had people who understood the story of God. And all they had to do was say yes to Jesus and then they could be the people who helped this new church form and grow. See, God's timing wasn't just good, it was perfect. But for 750 years, it probably didn't feel perfect. God knows what he's doing. I can trust God's plan, right? So first thing, I can trust God's plan. 
The second thing that I can do to start to learn how to have joy in uncertainty is to reset my focus. Think about our world. Think about how many things are clawing for your attention, how many times you're distracted, how many, how many times you turn on the news and your mind's just gone. There's so much trying to draw our attention away from Jesus. But he gave us a mission. And that mission, he, he, it's called the Great Commission. He gave to his disciples to give to their disciples to eventually give to us. And what Jesus said is, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. It's been given to me. Therefore, as you're going Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, and you're not going alone. I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the mission Jesus gave us, to share the good news of Jesus and to help people grow to maturity in him. That's what discipleship is. And notice there's no conditions in there. Okay, when things are good, make sure to share the good news. Make sure that people grow then. No, there's no condition. And you look at places in our world, China's a great example right now where communism has made it so that you can't be Christian. And yet the church in China has grown to over 100 million people. That's miraculous. See, the gospel grows, the kingdom of God expands, people mature all the time. So when my focus comes off of Jesus' mission and gets stuck in the details of my life and the uncertainty and the difficulty, no wonder I lose joy. I think about Paul the Apostle. The book of Philippians, fantastic. I'd recommend reading it this week. It talks all about joy. But Paul is awaiting his execution in prison in Philippi at the time, or in Rome at the time while he's writing to the Philippians. And he says this, every time I pray for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And I know that God's gonna finish the work he started in you. See, Paul, he's waiting to die but he is so full of joy. Why? Because the gospel is going forward. The kingdom of God is growing. These people he's loved so much are thriving. That's the mission that Jesus has put him on. And that's the mission he's given us. Think about real life. Think about what God's done over these last two years. I've seen so many people who are far from Jesus come to him. We baptize people almost every week. We've seen so much growth of people pursuing him. The seats are filling up on Sunday mornings. We're, we're reaching the world. Our groups are growing and people inside are growing and learning to lead and pursue people with the gospel. You look at Thanksgiving dinners to, to Spokane. You look at the One Heart Shoe giveaway in August. You look at the things God's done. It's nothing short of miraculous. We can take joy that God is doing something amazing around us or we can take our eyes off of Jesus, focus on the wrong things. And what's gonna happen is we can lose the opportunity for that joy. It's there. It's out there for us. We just have to walk in it, right? We have to keep our eyes focused on the mission. Another part of resetting our focus is not quitting. Quitting's easy, and sometimes it's appealing, right? If, if I just quit this thing, I can focus on my stuff. Uh, newsflash, that's never gonna work out well. It's not gonna work out well at all. Because when I take my eyes away from Jesus, when I decide to quit, there's nothing holding me back, nothing stopping me from spiraling out of control. But Jesus has given us so much hope in that moment to not quit. And I think about James, he writes, he writes a book of the Bible. He says, this is gonna sound crazy, but consider it pure joy whenever you face, face trials of many kinds. That's not when I usually think about pure joy, right? But he's like, that's pure joy, why? Because the testing of your faith is gonna develop perseverance. There's character that God wants to grow in me and you 
through uncertainty, through hardship and trials. Things that he wants to teach us that he can't teach us when things are good. He can only teach them to us when things are difficult. That's a powerful thing. See, God is a master of making lemonade, right? He's a master at taking things that are difficult and saying, I'm going to use it for your good, and I'm going to grow you. He wants to develop that character inside of us. But there's also a reality of suffering. Nobody likes it. Nobody enjoys it. That's the whole point, right? Suffering is really difficult. But there's promises in Scripture, and we're really good at claiming a lot of them. I love it, right? Like, put them on bumper stickers, and we cross-stitch it and put it on our walls, and so many wonderful promises of Scripture. I have one for you, and if you, if you cross-stitch this one and put it on your wall, I want to see it. Send me a picture, right? Because Jesus said this, if they persecuted me and if I suffered, you're going to suffer too. Did you know that's a promise of Jesus? Suffering is a promise. And that's not one we want to claim usually, right? But that is, and here's why, what's going on is bigger than me. It's a lot bigger than me. Suffering is something that is actually crucial to the mission of Jesus. And in America, we have a hard time with it. The rest of the world, though, many places in the world, they embrace suffering, recognizing that Jesus can give them hope and joy right in the middle of it in ways that he can't in other ways. And I think about, again, Paul in Philippians, right? Philippians chapter three, he's talking and he's saying how good it is to know Jesus. And he says something really interesting. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. At this point, I think most of us in here are on board, right? Yes, I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I don't just want to know Jesus in the good times. I want to know everything about Jesus. I want to experience what he experienced, including his suffering and his death. There's something about Jesus that we can't know until we've experienced what he's experienced. And Paul says, I'm in, I'm all in. However much I need to suffer, and he was a champion at suffering, by the way. However much I need to suffer, I'm willing and ready because that's going to draw me closer to Jesus than I've ever been before. Philippians is all about joy, and Paul found joy right in the middle of suffering. Why? Because he could refocus his attention on not giving up and staying faithful to what God had called him to. So with these things, trusting God, trusting God is so crucial and then resetting our focus. These are two tools that we can have. And we're in, in the new year, we're actually going to do a series that's on how the church endured over thousands of years through brutal persecution, through pain, through difficulty. We're going to start a series then about that. But for now, these are a couple things I just want you to hold on to. We can have joy. Now, the question is, how did Israel do? 750 years. How did they do? Did they endure? Did they have joy? Did they move forward or were they beaten down and again and again by it? And I have really good news. They did awesome. They did really, really well. If you're a student of the New Testament, Old Testament, you might notice there's some new things in the New Testament that never existed before. There's this thing called synagogue where they would gather on Saturdays for a worship service, kind of like what we're doing here. That wasn't a thing before the New Testament. That was something they developed in Babylonian captivity. They started training their kids when they were young to know God's word, to love God's word, to the point where you could get a kid, even today, from Israel up here, and he could run circles around me with his scripture knowledge. That's how much they loved it. But they didn't just love knowing it. They loved living it. 
They wanted to be obedient, as obedient as they could be to God, to the point where Jesus even had issues with it. Like, whoa, whoa, guys, back off a little bit. Way too far, right? They wanted to be obedient then. During 750 years of chaos, uncertainty, what they did was they doubled down on being faithful to God, to finding joy in him, and they paved the way for the Messiah to come because of their faithfulness. It can be done. So the question is, what about you? What about me? We're in uncertainty right now. This is not fun. No one one has thought these last two years have been a wild, exciting ride. But we can have joy too. Have you kept your attention on Jesus? Have you been focused on the mission? Have you trusted God's timing? Or have you crumbled under the pressure of it all? And I have good news. If you have crumbled, there's always hope. There's always a way out. But we have a world around us who's watching us. And if Jesus' church, that Jesus himself said the gates of hell can't prevail against it. If Jesus' church looks just like everyone else, if we lose our hope and lose our joy, losing the beauty of the gospel, that God came down, that he died for us to give us joy that cannot be defeated. We get this opportunity to tell a different story. Think about our kids. Right now, we're laying the foundations for their faith story. What kind of foundations are we laying? Are we laying one that shows that you can have joy and be faithful to God through difficulty? Or are we showing them, nope, we're gonna freak out like everyone else does? Good news is Jesus offers so much joy and so much hope right in the middle of that. And and here's the good news. You're part of a church, I don't know if you've noticed it, where people are really passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. Like I said, God has been doing miraculous things through us. And I have this, just this vision in my heart that God wants to use us today in this day and age in Spokane, Washington to empty hell of people from Spokane. He wants to use you. He wants to use me to do that. And he wants to do it by filling us with joy, by showing the world something different, by telling a different story through you and through me. He can do it, he wants to do it, and he will do it if we let him. So what do you think, real life? Are you in? You in to walk in joy and walk in the hope of Jesus? Because I am, I know God wants to shake this world through you and through me. Now, for some of you, as as you're hearing this, you already have things in mind, steps you need to take. I need to be involved in a community of people who are joyful. I need to get into a group or... I need to start taking this relationship with Jesus seriously. For some of you, this might be the first time you've heard this, or you have heard it, but you haven't committed yourself to Jesus yet. If that's you, your next step is baptism. You can head to the back when the music starts. Uh, We have shirts, shorts, towels, everything you'll need to get baptized. We'd love to celebrate with you. For the rest of us, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna continue to worship. God, thank you so much for this message of hope and joy in Jesus. Thank you that we don't just have to figure things out on our own. We don't have to flounder around. We can be in the middle of uncertainty, not having a clue what's going on or where all of this is going, but we can radiate joy like Jesus. God, thank you that we don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be subject to the craziness of our environment, but that you've given us a hope that lasts and a joy in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for doing so much to reach us Help us to reach this world with your gospel. God, we love you. We worship you. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen. And stand up and we'll continue our worship. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We want to encourage you and help point you closer to Jesus. So be sure to visit our website or to reach out on that phone number. We love you, Real Life. See you next time.